Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey there, global podcast listeners. Welcome to the Bauer and Rose podcast brought to you by our friends at justthenews.com and Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. You can hear us wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure and hit the subscribe button, give us a rating and refer us to friends. Well, I don't even know where to begin today, Gary. Um, I guess we could start in New York City at the Watson Hotel uh, that thin blue line is getting so thin, you need a microscope to see it. I don't get the big deal about the illegal migrants squatting in a $300 a night hotel. Once they've invaded the country, what's the big deal about invading a hotel? Yeah. <laughs> well, Tom, this is why I not only do this show, but I listen to it because it's thoughts like that that you don't see in the media. Man, I, I mean, I'll who you- would have thought that people who don't respect borders might not have great respect for private property. Yeah, you know, I mean, and and actually, Tom, in some of the articles, it says it's a $500 a night hotel. Um, And, you know, we're being kind of flippant about this, but it's actually a very important point. Um, There are a lot of people on the right that, uh, and and I'll fall into, into this sometimes myself, who will conclude that all these people coming into the country are future terrorists, uh, drug gang members, et cetera. Well, that, that's clearly not true. I mean, even though they, most of them are, in fact, uh, intentionally violating American laws as the first thing they do entering the country, none of these people, Tom, are actually refugees uh, they're, they're economic migrants, and there are very specific ro- rules about that. But there is that tendency on our side to just say they're, you know, they're all potential problems when some of them clearly are just hoping for a better life for themselves. But on the, on the left, on the progressive left, and in some Christian circles, I, I want to be sure to say, they're all pictured as noble individuals, People with an, with an even better sense than us, a better appreciation of freedom than we do. They, they are, I, I am told by fellow Christians, Tom, Gary, Jesus loves migrants too. Well, of course he does, because Jesus is, for a Christian, the embodiment of love he loves everybody, including American taxpayers. And if you watch the NFL playoffs this weekend, I mean, Jesus was a refugee and he was pro-criminal. Who knew? Did you see these ads? Who's sponsoring them? What's behind them? The, and how does, it, how does a Christian respond to the notion that, that Jesus is pro-criminal? Did you see those ads? I, Tom, they've been running... Uh, uh, for months now, uh, most of the time on uh, during NFL games, there, there's also a tremendous um, 
email, social media uh, presence for these ads. They're being funded by a foundation in Kansas that in itself is just the conduit for money. You know, it's one of these donor advisor funds, right? But they will not disclose who the donors are. It's the largest ad campaign, the most expensive ad campaign in the history of the United States promoting, quote unquote, Christianity, although more and more people are raising questions about whether they're promoting Christianity or they're just promoting a progressive version of Christianity. There's rumors that Soros may be behind it, but this is a multi-million dollar effort. And if you look at a lot of the things that uh, on their website and and their various social media pages, where if you want more information or if you want to know how you can follow Christ, go here, go there, go there. And all the links are to progressive, uh, politically, uh, social movements, etc. Now, you know, there is such um, worry and chagrin in the body of Christ right now, Thomas, which is how we refer uh, to the church, that the church is collapsing in America that there are a lot of Christians that are just happy that, that in any ad that mentions Jesus is being talked about. But I, I, uh, my gut instinct tells me uh, this, is the, this is not the way to go. In fact, this is an effort to get more and more of the church to embrace the globalist, socialist, uh, progressive political agenda, which is the exact opposite uh, in my view, of the message of Jesus Christ. I, I, obviously, as a religious Jew, I am not uh, an expert Christian theologian. I'm not even an amateur Christian theologian. But does Jesus need an ad campaign? Does he need an ad campaign? I, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, what is the, what's the Christian response? I, again, as an outsider, look at this, and my suspicion is this is an attempt to co-opt normative, mainstream understandings of the gospel and of Christianity to try and put a Christian patina on something that is overtly anti-Christian. No one disputes uh, Christianity's emphasis on love and, and forgiveness and understanding, but these are overtly political ads, overtly designed, produced, and aired to achieve political objectives. Um, they've already spent I've seen up to $10 million on these, on these NFL spots. What's the response? Is there one? I mean, how, how is this? Oh, yeah, there, there are churches signing up for this. I mean, there's a place where a church can sign up and say, I want to be part of uh, he, uh, he Gets Us, uh, the He Gets Us movement. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, so it's, it's having an impact. There's a great deal of theological confusion in the American church, Tom. Hobby Lobby is, is, is funding some of this? I, I've not, no, I, I don't have any reason to believe that it's Hobby Lobby. Well, the it, founder, David Green, told uh, Glenn Beck that his family was helping fund the ads. Well, I, I hadn't heard that, so uh, I, I'd be surprised, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll wait and see if that's if that's if that is actually the the case. I, I seriously, I, I missed that completely, and I uh, I have you know I've I've talked to a lot of pastors that are deeply worried uh, about the ad campaign. Uh, look, um, 
you, we, we started this conversation with a conversation about the border. From, by, by the way, Tom, as a, as a Jew, you'll know that uh, uh, God, when he was dealing with his people uh, in, in the Torah and in what Christians call, for the most part, the Old Testament, uh, when, when God is leading the Jewish people uh, through their journey, of ultimately to the promised land, one of the first things he tells them to do when they enter a new land is to build a wall and to post guards on the wall to protect them from their enemies. So the idea that God or that Christ wants a um, nations, particularly nations like ours that have many ungodly enemies, to have open borders, which is essentially what this ad seems to be endorsing, is just insane. It's not biblical. That you know, there there will be a time, Tom, and, and according to to Christian theology, there will be a time when there's a, a one world government, but its ruler will be Jesus. <laughs> and there won't be at that point, uh, you know, good will have, have triumphed over evil. And that will be the, uh, the that will be the, the end of the need for um, uh, identifiable boundaries and borders and the need to guard those borders. And there, there is nothing compassionate about bringing in millions of people into America in complete violation of federal immigration laws and um, and then putting the burden of that on schools and uh, uh, communities, on hospitals. Um, it, it, it's insane. And uh, again, I keep bringing it up every time I get into an argument with a fellow Christian about this. Doesn't Christ... Doesn't God love taxpayers, too? <laughs> That's a great line. That's a great line. And he may love criminals, but there's also a criminal justice system, which gets us to a topic number two. The cops who, who brutally beat this man in Memphis, apprehended, by the way, while driving about 105 miles an hour on a city street, are going to go to prison for decades, while criminals who perpetrate these types of crimes get out on cashless bail. I mean, the DOJ is now doing handstands and legal contortions that defy the laws of physics to convince juries to imprison people they disagree with. There is a bit of good news. A Pennsylvania jury came back uh, late yesterday and acquitted pro-life activist, or maybe it was Friday, Mark Houck, despite the Justice Department and the thugs who prosecute these cases, trying to make an example out of him. Um, Tom, I just want to uh, quickly add it because I know you didn't mean this, and I want to make sure that any of the leftists monitoring uh -oh. our show don't uh, distort something that, that you just said as you were making a quick point. Neither of us think that what happened on, uh, in the apprehension of that uh, that young man in Memphis is in any way acceptable. Of course not. Uh, it, it was horrible. It, you know, it, you, you don't have to be an intellectual giant to know that uh, treating somebody's head as if it were a soccer ball is, is not only uh, not good policing, it, it is criminal activity. And you can make a case that 
that this kind of vicious violence done by law enforcement is even worse than violence done by a criminal because law enforcement. But the, the uh, but so we condemn it without any qualms, any buts or, or whatever. But the, the larger point that you were making is that, you know, if only we were approaching violent crime as seriously when it's committed by criminals right. as it is when it's done by cops. I mean, because every day we hear a new story with somebody charged with, you know, attacking someone with a knife, with a gun, beating them up or whatever. And they're out back out on the streets before you can. You these know, cops are going to go to jail. These cops, I'm sure you agree. These cops are going to go to jail for decades as oh, they should. I mean, this was no a question. horrendous act. But why it then why the horrendous act therefore precludes any discussion or mention of what led to the apprehension in the first place? beggars the mind. No one is excusing how they reacted or uh, the steps they took to apprehend this guy. But, you know, he wasn't driving 22 miles an hour in a 20 mile an hour zone. Uh, This was I'm go ahead. Well, I was going to say the thing that jumped out at me, Tom, is that, um, you know, by by some trick of fate or whatever, uh, everybody, virtually everybody involved in, in this particular incident happened to be African-American. And so it it seemed to me that the one thing that a reasonable man could assume is that in the inevitable debate that would break out after this incident, the debate would be about reforming our uh, police departments around the country, not a debate about systemic white racism in law enforcement. But lo and behold, CNN and even the president are trying to take the whole event and turn it in to another example of white supremacy. <laughs> I, I still haven't figured that out. I mean, holy moly, you know, it's uh, it was horrible. It was terrible. I, I think it must be particularly troubling to our African-American brothers and sisters to see people of, uh, you know, African-Americans, black Americans, Treating a black man this way, uh, but what it, you know, I, I mean, it's a horrible thing that happened. The whole thing is horrible, but how in the world? So CNN actually ran an editorial that said uh, that uh, whites, the, the white supremacy that permeates our criminal justice system uh, is the main explanation, explanation for what happened that night in Memphis, because even the, the, the police officers were infected with that uh, white supremacy. Uh, I, you know, I don't even know. I don't even know what that means. The New York Times actually did a what they call their deep dive yesterday. In which, <laughs> which means a battle against reality. Exactly. Right? Which actually argues that this is a case of systemic racism or internalized racism. I don't have it in front of me, which is just as well. You don't want to hear it or whatever the buzzword of the day is. But their argument is that the BLM movement, the mostly peaceful BLM movement, <laughs> uh, burned out so many white officers who were called out for their racism that the Memphis Police Department then had no choice but to lower standards to hire more black officers. So in other words, it's a case of affirmative action-itis. Big city cops um, 
headed to the suburbs. The white ones are to find safer jobs, higher pay, more respect. Um, and then all the pressure for police departments to look more like the communities they serve got the Memphis Police Department to lower standards. So I'm not sure what the New York Times' point was here, but um, what they're arguing, this was a... By the way, again, I realize because of the heinousness of the crime after this uh, young man was was apprehended and beaten mercilessly and eventually died of his wounds, a homicide, um, Memphis was and is experiencing one of the most dramatic uh, hikes in violent crime of any city in the country, car thefts up almost 200%, murders almost doubled. The mayor of Memphis, a black woman, created a... Um, uh, a unit Task within, force, yeah, yeah a unit, right, a unit within the police department, uh, specifically assigned to these high crime areas, designed to get much more aggressive to crack down on crime. By the way, that is demanded by the residents of this low-income black neighborhood. Who's the victim of black crime most often than not? Other blacks. So they want to see a dramatic ramp up in police activity, police presences, and in this case, of course, this unit. Uh, went rogue, and uh, it certainly appears as though they killed this guy. Yeah, it sure does, Tom. Uh, you, you know, the the, uh, the ambulance uh, or the emergency uh, personnel that were called to the scene, uh, it, it took 20 minutes for that ambulance to get to the place where the, this young man is uh, lying there dying, uh, Memphis is another city run by Democrats that doesn't it doesn't work. And this is happening all over America. I think it's a major contributor to uh, the, the poll that came out this week that shows uh, that that we're now reaching even higher levels. Uh, essentially, 75 percent of the country thinks that we're headed in the wrong direction. And, and I think at least one of the reasons is that people you know, a, a whole lot of the country lives in urban areas and in the surrounding suburbs, and they're seeing with their own eyes that nothing is working. The schools don't work. Criminal justice isn't working. The streets aren't safe. The subways aren't safe. You, you, you can't go to a shopping center if you're a woman at night without always looking over your shoulder. You don't want your daughter walking around by herself once the sun goes down. Uh, small businesses are shuttering up because they can't stop thugs from coming in and, and robbing them blind. The list goes on and on and on. And uh, it, it is, I think, uh, right in front of our eyes, um, a, a, an experiment being conducted uh, voluntarily or involuntary on, on whether or not the founding fathers were right when they said that ultimately only a virtuous people can remain free. Where are the responsible voices in, well, anybody, let alone the black community, Hispanic community, white community, Asian community, responsible voices telling young people that uh, when a police officer pulls you over, you stop. When a police officer asks you a question, you answer. Again, this is hardly a justification. It isn't in any way for this excessive, uh, apparently outrageous um, uh, attack on this guy 
who didn't stop when asked, who fled the scene, who was driving an outrageously fast speed. And this is a rhetorical question, obviously. What are the chances this young man would be alive today if uh, he wasn't traveling 60 or 70 or 80 miles an hour over the speed limit and when pulled over had stopped? Yeah, Tom, look, you know, uh, in uh, the summer of 2020, I guess, when summer of love. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was several really high profile uh, incidents of of um, violence involving the police and and minorities. And in in many of those cases, it was uh, uh, white police uh, dealing with with minorities. And um, I heard a number of of minority families say uh, with great sadness that they thought it was a horrible thing that they had to sit down with their children and have the talk. Eric Holder, uh, former attorney general of the United States, famously said how embarrassed and how ashamed he was that he had to sit down with his. Well, isn't that the responsibility of every parent? Black, yeah, white, mean, blue, orange, yellow. Yeah, that's where I was going. I mean, look, I, I think every family, uh, particularly now in America, ought to sit down and say, look, um, if if a red light goes on behind your car, uh, you, you need to pull over. Now, I would add the caveat, Tom, that uh, if you're a young woman by yourself and and you see um, a public place where you can pull over, you know, a, a gas station or uh, some place where there are other people, I would recommend that. Because some of the thugs we have masquerade as cops and pull over young women in order to because they mean harm to those young women. But nonetheless, you you should respond to that police officer. I would also urge parents to talk with their children of all races and and say to them, look, you, you've got to develop a sense of and a knowledge of that in the country we're living in right now. You have to be able to understand and sense danger. Now, I'm thinking, Tom, of this young woman in uh, Louisiana. Oh, God, what a horrible that, story. That drank way too much, left the bar, and got into a car with four young men. Was uh, there, there was sexual activity in the car. The police have charged She was gang raped, wasn't she? Well, uh, they're, only, they're claiming that only one individual— uh, had sexual relations with her. We we'll have to see as the, the facts come out. But look, you you don't do that. I, I mean, first of all, whatever happened, whoever did these things, they need to have the book thrown at them. But we need to tell our daughters, don't drink yourself silly. Get in the cars with multiple young men that you don't know because you are tempting fate. Uh, the, when did it you know, become irresponsible to teach our children responsibility? When did it become irresponsible to teach our children to listen to law enforcement? If you are improperly arrested, you can make your case later in a court of law. You don't argue with the cop. Nothing good comes from arguing with the cop. Even if you're right, don't argue with the cop. Yeah, it's. It seems reasonable to me, um, but uh, but you know, the, okay. So this this is the age we live in, and we I think we we agree on this time. We have a whole it, it's a, it's a weird combination. We we have a lot of young people that 
know way too much about certain things uh, at an earlier age than they should know. But we also have young people that have been shielded from the reality of the world. And they keep and many of them do stupid things and and they pay the price for it. Um, I So, uh, yeah, we all ought to be having serious conversations with our sons and daughters about how uh, men, how how young men and young women should act and about the nature of the world we're in and the nature of the country that we're in at this sad moment when uh, respect for law and order and the breakdown of reliable standards of right and wrong are, are evident everywhere. Uh, and uh, the, the, the pile of uh, victims and crushed families who are in mourning uh, uh, continues to grow day by day. We're going to take a break. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose Show on JustTheNews.com. We're back after this. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you, the Bauer and Rose podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, give us a uh, five-star rating and make sure and hit that subscribe button and notification button so you will be aware of when Bauer and Rose uh, drops another podcast. Well, Secretary of State Blinken is in Israel this week telling Israelis apparently to stop letting the people rule and go back to having the left run the country. It seems he's spending his time in Israel, Gary, lobbying against the Israeli government, against their judicial reform plans, democratic judicial reform plans, than he is about standing with an ally that's facing renewed terror threats and the Iran menace, as, as we've discussed on numerous occasions, too many probably for your liking. <laughs> the Israeli Supreme Court truly has, it's the most powerful Supreme Court in the world. It has unlimited power. It selects its own members. It claims standing and absolute authority to intervene in any case, every case, whenever it chooses. It can base its decision on its own whims by arguing that that, uh, Israel doesn't have a constitution, which is true, which, by the way, they're the ones opposed to writing an Israeli constitution. The new Israeli government, democratically elected, on the platform of establishing judicial accountability, and uh, Blinken is there in the midst of this terror wave. Um, He told the world yesterday, that's Monday, that that Israelis and terrorists are pretty much equally responsible for the violence. That would be uh, Israeli uh, counter-terror commandos targeting terrorists who murder civilians and Palestinian terrorists who murder civilians are morally equal. Well, Tom, uh, the the Biden administration from top to bottom are very much uh, supportive of and in favor of uh, Supreme Courts as long as they're left wing. So they love the Israeli Supreme Court and want that left wing Supreme Court to rule the Israeli people. They love the Supreme Court in Brazil 
because it kicks conservatives, including elected conservatives, off of social media platforms, which is exactly what the Biden administration would love to do. But it hates the current American Supreme Court that at this point has a five and a half uh, vote majority on it that does things like restore protection for innocent human life. That Supreme Court, they authorize thugs to gather outside the homes of the justices every night to try to intimidate those justices to stop ruling in a conservative way on constitutional matters. So, again, not to put too fine of a point on it, uh, the, the, the Biden administration loves left-wing Supreme Courts ruling with an iron fist, but hates conservative Supreme Courts that try to restore constitutional balance to the American Republic. And then we've got I, I would call it my favorite story of the week, but that would um, perhaps rub you the wrong way. The Milwaukee Bucks, NBA Milwaukee Bucks, best team in the East by most analyses at this stage of the season, naturally hosted a, a drag queen halftime show in a game against, I think, the 76ers last week. And um, this is what, I mean, there's a media firestorm about it. Most of the media firestorm is directed not against the Milwaukee Bucks for hosting a drag queen halftime show at an NBA game in front of kids, but against those who have a problem with it. This is from the New York Post. Critics from those who were concerned about children being in the stands. That's my favorite line. Most of the criticism about those who criticize the drag queen story hour were concerned that, quote-unquote, children were in the stands. The problem, Gary, wasn't that the Milwaukee Bucks asked men to dress up as women to dance provocatively at an NBA halftime show. The problem was the kids being present. How dare people bring kids to an NBA game? After, after all, everybody is welcome during Pride Month, everybody but children, apparently. Yeah, what <laughs> you know, Tom. It, it, I mean, this is the world we live in. That that professional sports teams, uh, major corporations, um, Hollywood stars, um, and and just about you know any other entity that you secular entity that you can think of uh, feels an obligation and a right to make pronouncements on human sexuality, the definition of marriage, and to force everybody in the particular institution that is doing this to kneel at the foot of that statement they're making about human sexuality and about marriage. But when a church does it, uh, the most recent example, the, I think it's the First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida, that has issued a statement uh, uh, giving the position of the church on marriage, which they say is the biblical position that marriage is the union of a man and woman, and their position on um, gender, which is God made them man and woman, male and female. And they, they announced this and said that um, they've asked uh, everybody in the congregation uh, to sign this biblical statement of principle. Uh, you're not forced to, but they've asked everybody to sign it. They've said, if you don't agree with it, 
you don't have to leave, but this is our statement. Um, if you uh, really are offended by the statement, you're you're free to go to another church. Uh, but the the roof is caving in on this church. They're being labeled bigots. Uh, the critics are saying this is outrageous. So the only institution that presumably would be in a position to make statements on religious matters relating to marriage and gender and human sexuality is being told to shut up while the owners uh, of a professional basketball team is being encouraged to continue to make pronouncements on these things. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's totally insanity and total insanity. And it shows the limits of tolerance, right? That, that we've been told over and over again for the last 30 years to be tolerant. And that tolerance expresses itself as trying to shut the church up, but telling everybody that plays for the Bucks or uh, a hockey team or a professional basketball team, you will wear the rainbow. You will kneel. You will join the ce- the celebration, expressing that, pride. That, you know, that or else. I think that is the key point. You just nailed it on the head. David Horowitz the iconoclastic former Marxist who's now this great conservative has this expression that inside every liberal is a totalitarian screaming to get out. This is, it's not about tolerance. It's not about acceptance. You and I might disagree on certain levels in terms of how to treat or not treat legally or otherwise LGBTQ plus minus ampersand, uh, whatever digits they want to, you know, append today. The point here is that, um, uh, the point here is, sorry about that, that was a phone call. My point is that these people are not for tolerance. They are demanding, not that we tolerate, not that we respect, they're demanding that we honor a lifestyle that we don't, for biblical, deeply held religious beliefs, believe in or accept as normal. That doesn't mean we don't uh, respect them individually or tolerate them individually. They demand that we honor them. And that's the problem. There's a difference between tolerance in a pluralistic society and demanding fealty to the political agendas of those who reject our worldview, just as we don't insist or demand, if we did, that we'd be laughed out of town, unfortunately, um, uh, uh, that they, quote-unquote, honor and uh, a pledge fealty to, to, to our religious beliefs. Yeah, you know, Tom, the, uh, the LGBTQ movement uh, was very smart in, in using uh, the argument of tolerance and live and let live which are uh, deeply ingrained in, in, in the modern American culture. You know, people by and large take the attitude, you know, my neighbor may be into some weird things, but that's his business. I mean, unless he's, you know, infringing on my territory or exposing the bad ideas to my kids, what he does in his house is his business and what I do in my house is my business. Uh, just leave me alone, you know. And uh, a lot of people bought into, the, you know, accept that argument. But but as we quickly have seen, 
uh, once the foot was in the door, then there's no more talk about tolerance. That's exactly uh, right. It, you know, it's bake that cake, you know, uh, kneel before our demands, um, wear that jersey with the rainbow flag on it, uh, or we will destroy you. And there are court cases all over the country uh, of uh, people that are have orthodox religious views uh, who don't want to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding, uh, don't want to cater uh, some sort of, uh, of ceremony that is contrary to what their faith teaches. And we have – no, I mean with this case of this poor guy in – in Colorado, the Masterpiece Cake Shop owner loses the, 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 this. I, we have to get into this. Uh, loses an appeal over a gender transition cake. Now, this is clearly an attempt to intimidate, harass, and put this guy out of business. Everyone knows damn well, pardon the use of uh, the French there, that this guy's a religious Christian who's been involved in contratemps with the LGBTQ community who's targeting him for destruction. This Colorado baker, he partially won a Supreme Court victory in a case where he refused to make um, a cake for a, a same-sex couple's wedding. Now, this guy, he openly says, if you come in and order a cake, I don't ask about your sexual identity. I'll bake a cake for anybody. But when you're asking me to honor ceremonies that I reject, that violates my constitutional right to freedom of conscience and freedom of speech. The irony is the Colorado court said that baking a cake with blue and yellow, whatever it was that this this uh, customer claimed to want, uh, was not a... Uh, uh, was not uh, an act of freedom of speech. But, of course, burning an American flag, that's freedom of speech. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it, it, it's bizarre. And look, Tom, it, uh, it, this is such a difficult issue to discuss because uh, you inevitably, we inevitably have to discuss it in sort of generalities. Uh, and, you, you know, there's all kinds of places you can't go and, and so forth. Um, I think it's obvious that there are men and women that are uh, oriented toward the same sex and who uh, live quiet lives uh, and don't try to push their lifestyle on anybody else. Uh, but the LGBTQ plus movement of course. is quite the opposite. Inherently it, political. Yes, and has a very left-wing agenda, and its agenda is, in many ways, anti-Christian, anti-religious, and it is um, got a heavy emphasis on having their demands and and information that they choose uh, being brought into schools at a very early age, so that children. Uh, can be exposed to it. And on on that ground alone, on that fact about that organized movement and what their goal is, um, good people have to resist it and have to fight back. I find it very interesting, Tom. There's a, um, a group that sprang up uh, within the last year called um, Gays and Lesbians Against Grooming, 
Grooming is a reference to exposing very young children to information about sexual activity in order to, uh, hopefully by the people doing this, to get those children to, to knock down their resistance and, and recruit them in to the LGBTQ community. And so here are a group of, of gays and lesbians. I assume some of them are married to men and women of the same sex um, who realize the danger in this and they're fighting back against it. And Tom, they have been dropped from social media platforms and, and being labeled intolerant because they're merely pushing back on the idea that that kids six, seven, eight, nine years old should be exposed to information about sexual practices in in, uh, in, in uh, among gays and lesbians. I mean, it's remarkable to think how rare courage is as a trait for most people, gay or straight. This this movement has uh, taken over the entire you know, public element of, of uh, the gay community, so to speak. I don't know numbers, but my guess is most gays are sickened by this, appalled by this, yet they don't speak up for the same reason that straight people don't pick, speak up. Or uh, Courage is rare. And for those, this group, gays and lesbians against grooming, all the more power to them because uh, courage is uh, one of the toughest attributes to conjure up, particularly in a world where you can be canceled, you can be... Uh, eliminated from from polite discussion or any discussion whatsoever you can become a non-person we're becoming more like communist china by the day i think we're out of time gary well uh we can't be out of time tom there are still problems to solve <laughs> i wonder do you think those problems can wait until later in the week when we do another they're going to have to wait but i mean it's unfair you know biden has seven days a week 24 hours a day uh, to bring America down. And we've got, you know, on a good day, 45 minutes to an hour to try to build it back up. I still say we do more in our 45 minutes than Biden does in a week. But uh, that'll do it for today. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned to this podcast. We don't say that anymore, do they? Keep the keep the channel. What is it? Yeah, the, we uh, need yeah. to do that more. Yeah. I, I mean, let me explain why nobody's paying. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good week, everybody. We'll talk to you in a couple of days.